Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. All stories are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes, even when puppies run into the room. For season six, Jack and I have again decided to go ad-free. I do this because I love mysteries, and Jack does it because he loves me. Jack may be a starving college student, but it's because he just got home and he hasn't yet finished, figured out how to go from a meal plan to mama's pantry. We do ask that you support the writers of our show. This week is K.M. Rockwood. Check out her website and social, buy and read her stories, and help other readers find her. Make writing for Mysteries to Die For the best decision she could have made. And in your, her, in your review, tell her Tina and Jack said hi. This is season six, Things That Go Jack in the Night. This season contains some truly imaginative mysteries around one of the most common words in the English language. From the brandy distilled from hard cider, known as Applejack, to that nefarious one-eyed Jack, to the animals, vegetables, fruits, tools, weapons, and slang, the way the word Jack is used in the English language is truly unique, inventive, and, well, way too numerous for us to count. And yes, it's also the name of my piano player and producer. For episode one, Pepper Jack Cheese is a featured Jack. This is A Package of Pepper Jack Cheese by K.M. Rockwood. Okay, before we start the story, I have to say thank you, Jack, because like you really humored me when I'm like, I got an idea for the season. And you're like, are you serious? I'm like, yes, it'll be awesome. It's going to be great. It is. The uh, the writers for this this uh, season have really come up with very creative takes on things that go Jack in the night. So let's start, let's start with KM's story. Chapter one, Young Love. The summer between my junior and senior years in high school, I spent my mornings unloading trucks and sorting newspaper for a distributor and my afternoons walking my dog, Jack, past Elizabeth Wellingham's house. I had a crush on Elizabeth, although I was quite aware that, as the saying goes, she didn't even know I existed. Her family's house, a huge brick creation with an expansive front lawn, was situated a few blocks away from the tiny rundown house on the back street that I shared with my mom. It was on the way to the dog park. That gave me a ready-made reason to be walking by often, although the six or eight times an afternoon might have been pushing it. Hey, girls like dogs, right? If Elizabeth saw Jack, she'd want to pet the cute dog, and then she'd have to talk to me. We'd done this often enough that Jack knew we would be moving slowly on the stretch of the walk. He could stop anywhere he wanted to sniff around and I wouldn't insist he move along. He also knew, however, that he was not permitted to add his mark anywhere. Oh, I cringed at the thought of Elizabeth seeing him for the first time as he lifted a leg and anointed a tree. 
This afternoon, a delivery truck was parked at the curb, its door open and engine running. Jack, on his long retractable leash, went to sniff at the step that led up to the truck. I stood idly on the sidewalk, trying to look at the house without appearing to do so. A brook path wound out from behind some tall rhododendron bushes that hid the entire front of the house. I had contemplated letting Jack wander up there so I could go fetch him back. Then I could see if there was a front porch behind the shrubbery. Maybe with Elizabeth sitting on the swing with a glass of lemonade, reading. What a delightful thought. But if she were in fact sitting there, how would I ever explain? Reluctantly, I kept Jack away from the walk. As I walked, a person appeared from behind the bushes. The driver of the delivery truck. She wore a shirt with the company name emblazoned on it, shorts and work boots. In her hand was a small, white, insulated foam box. She was moving quickly, her face distorted in a grimace. When she saw me, she stopped short. Call 911, she shouted at me. I shrugged. I own a cell phone, I mean most kids did, but I had loaned it to my mom for today. Her phone was missing. She figured she left it in the home of one of her clients and was confident she'd find it, but meanwhile she needed to be able to check in with her home office. I couldn't make any calls. My phone's in the truck, the driver said as she hurried past me to the truck. 911? Was somebody hurt? Was Elizabeth hurt? Pressing the button to reel Jack's leash, I ran up the walk to where I could see the front of the house. No porch, but a few steps led to the front door, which was open. Lying face down on the path was a man. The side of his skull was crushed. Blood was pooling around his head. Off to the side was a heavy cane. He wasn't moving. I recognized him. With my continuing surveillance, I knew a lot about who inhabited the house. This was Elizabeth's dad. He usually came home in the late afternoon in his Lexus, pulling up the driveway and directly into the garage. But every once in a while, I'd see him entering or leaving the house on foot, leaning heavily on the very heavy cane that la now lay next to him, coated with a dark, glutinous mass. I stood frozen for a moment, unable to move. Jack bounced up and sniffed at him, getting his paws bloody. Should I be doing CPR or something? That was for things like heart attacks or drowning, though, not for bashed in heads. How could anyone be alive with their head smashed in like that? But suppose he wasn't dead. I leaned forward, snatching up Jack with one hand. The man's body jerked. I jumped back, then leaned forward again and holding my free hand in front of the bloody nostrils to see if I could detect any breathing. A siren shrieked. The fire station was only a few blocks away. The first responders would know what to do. Staring at the body, I stepped back a step. Chapter 2, Crime Scene An ambulance pulled up and no one made an effort to load the injured man onto a gurney. My gut feeling that he was dead must have been right. I choked down the bile that rose in my throat. Two uniformed police officers herded me and the delivery driver off to the side of the yard. One, whose name tag read Symington, pulled out a notebook. He peered at us from beneath bushy eyebrows and asked for our names. The driver's voice trembled. Syndra Heston, 
She spelled it. The cop looked at me. And you? Logan Wesley. I had to spell my name, too. All right, he glanced at his partner, a woman with tiny gold earrings and her hair pulled back in a tight bun. Miss Heston, you go with Officer Hallman. Mr. Wesley, you stay here and talk with me. We need to ask some questions. When Sindra and Officer Hallman were across the yard, Officer Symington turned back toward me. Tell me what happened here. Well, I was walking my dog. I lifted Jack, who was still in my arms, away from my chest a bit. When I saw the delivery lady come out from behind the bushes and start down the walk, he nodded. Did she seem upset? Yeah. I snuggled Jack back against me. She had this funny look on her face, and she shouted for me to call 911. And did you, he asked. No, I, I didn't have my cell phone, so I couldn't, I replied. He glanced towards Sindra. Who called? I looked in that direction, too. I guess the delivery lady. He made a quick note. What did you do? I shrugged. Went up to see what the emergency was. He raised his eyebrows. Morbid curiosity? No, I hadn't been thinking like that. I wanted to see if there was anything I could do to help. And could you, he asked. No. I felt my stomach churn as I thought about the gruesome sight. The guy was just lying there, and then he jerked. He jerked. Officer Simington wrote something down. He was alive? Well, he looked at, I said, until he jerked. I put my hand in front of his nose to see if he was breathing, but I didn't feel anything. Did you try to help the man, he asked. No, I shifted Jack's weight to my other arm. By then I could hear the sirens coming. I figured they would have a better idea of what to do than me. Aha, uh -huh. Officer Symington pointed at with the end of his pen at me. But I see you got some blood on your clothes. I looked down. A dark stain was smeared across the front of my shirt. I think the dog walked in it. I grabbed one of Jack's front paws. It was stained with the same dark red. Right, he glanced over his shoulder. Several more vehicles pulled up, including a van labeled Crime Scene. A young woman hopped out and started unrolling yellow tape around the yard. You wait over there, he said, pointing towards Cinder's truck. I'll see if they want to talk to you more right now, or if it can wait. He peered at my shirt. Don't go anywhere. I'm sure they'll want that. My chest tightened. Surely it wasn't possible that they thought I had anything to do with smashing a cane into Elizabeth's father's head. The next thing that popped in my head was, where was Elizabeth? This was her father. She would need comforting. I could cradle her sympathetically in my arms while she cried. What a satisfying image. But how callous and manipulative that would be. As I watched the organized chaos in front of the house, I realized that, even if she were inside and let me near her, no way was I going to be allowed to go in there. Sindra came over to her truck and climbed in. She sat in the driver's seat, crossing her arms on the steering wheel and resting her head on them. I sat on the bottom step. I put Jack down. He scrambled past me into the truck, squeezing between packages and snuffling around. Can you get him out of there? Sindra asked. I'll get in trouble if he ruins anything. Sure. I saw his wriggling butt a foot back and reached in to remove him. When I pulled him out, he had managed to grab a box in his mouth. 
It was an insulated foam box, like the one Syndra had been carrying when she was hurrying down the walk. Hey, Syndra reached over and wrestled the box away from Jack. That's got cheese in it. I hope he didn't bite through the box. Cheese would explain his interest. I put the dog on the ground and sat down on the step of the truck so he couldn't get back in. He turned his attention to all the people bustling around the front lawn. Without getting out of her seat, Syndra stashed the box on the floorboard right next to me where she could keep an eye on it. Gonna be late for the rest of the deliveries, she grumbled, picking up her phone. I better call in and tell them. A lot of activity was out of sight behind the rhododendrons, and we couldn't make out any of the conversation, but it was kind of like watching a TV show with the mute button on. Mesmerized, Jack sat still, momentarily. I did too. Chapter 3, A Birthday Surprise Well, Jack's fascination was short-lived. Unless he was physically involved, Jack had the attention span of a goldfish, about nine seconds. I loosened his leash to let him move around. He danced at the very end of it, craving an opportunity to go over and join the action. My dad had given me Jack as a puppy for my 13th birthday. He and Mom had been divorced ever since I could remember, and I was pretty sure his motivation was not to get me something he thought I would like, but something to annoy Mom. On the afternoon of my 13th birthday, he was supposed to take me out for a birthday celebration, so I watched out the window. He had a history of not showing up when he said he would. The car pulled up in front with his girlfriend Christine driving. They sat in the car for a while, gesturing toward the house, laughing and smirking, drunk or high, again. I was getting old enough to stop expecting him to show sober, if he showed up at all but it still hurt. Smoking that evil weed again, I mused. As I watched, their manner changed abruptly. Dad climbed out of the car, holding the puppy away from himself. Mom got to the door before I did and stood there glaring at him. To my enormous but silent delight, I realized Dad had been holding the puppy on his lap when the little fellow peed all over his pants. Christine stayed in the car, trying to stifle her amusement. Her shoulders shook with glee. She kept looking in our direction, wiping her eyes. Then she'd burst out in laughter again. Mom would never acknowledge that Dad might be less than sober. I don't know whether she didn't realize it or if she just chose to ignore it. Probably ignored it. Assuming his most pious expression, Dad said, Every boy should have a dog. I got this for Logan for his birthday. It's a Jack Russell Terrier. Only a tiny little thing and it won't get big. It shouldn't be much trouble. Well, Jack Russell Terriers may be small, but there's a reason some people refer to them as Jack Russell Terrorists. They are among the most active, mischievous, and stubborn dogs on the planet. Things I'm sure appealed to my dad a whole lot more than the small size. Fine, Mom said. Why don't you keep it over at your place, since we have 50-50 custody, and Logan's supposed to spend half of his time over there anyhow. Maybe custody was supposed to be split in half, but Dad usually had some reason why I couldn't go stay with him. And usually, I wasn't sorry. Dad existed in a mere state of constant intoxication of one kind or another. He didn't seem to go to work, and I couldn't figure out how he managed to live. 
Since I was supposed to be with him for half the time, he didn't have to pay child support. Not that he probably would have anyhow. I knew there was something wrong with that setup. Financially, mom had to cover almost all expenses and things were tough for her. Christine didn't live with dad, but when she was over at his place, the situation got even worse. Clouds of marijuana smoke filled the air. Empty beer cans rolled around the floor amid greasy pizza boxes. Remnants of white powder lines covered the tabletops. Bent spoons and miniature plastic bags and bits of steel wool littered the kitchen counters. I hated going to his place. Mom didn't usually make me, but every once in a while she would tell me I'd have to go stay with him for a few days. When that happened, I'd stuff my backpack with a blanket, changes of clothes, and whatever food I could dredge up and camp out in the woods behind his apartment building instead. No way he would take care of a puppy. Dad frowned at Mom. You got the house. It has a fenced yard. I live in the ninth floor apartment with a no pet clause. I could see Mom clenching her jaw, and I was used to running interference. I took the puppy from Dad and thanked him. He stood there, swaying gently on his feet and grinning until Christine called him back to the car. Dad was right about one thing. Like most kids, I was thrilled at having a dog of my own. I decided to do whatever it took to make sure the pup was well-behaved and as little of a pain to mom as possible. Maybe she'd let me keep it. Basically, it was a full-time chore to turn him into a reasonably calm, well-behaved dog. That meant I needed to keep him with me every second I could and crate him when I had to go to school or work. But I worked with him and gradually he settled down and became a reasonable, if overactive, pet. I couldn't imagine giving him up. Chapter 4 Victims or Suspects After I sat on the step of the truck for what seemed like hours, I saw people coming around from the back of the house. They were swinging wide around the taped-off area. First was a sullen young man I'd often seen going in or out of the house, Elizabeth's older brother, Roger. Several uniform officers surrounded him, including Officer Symington. They stopped halfway across the lawn with Roger gesturing and shaking his head. Roger had wispy hair that floated around his head, a scruffy beard, and pale, vacant eyes. He wore ripped blue jeans and a worn t-shirt with the names of some little-known hard metal band on the front. Ever since I'd been walking by the house, I'd seen him come and go repeatedly, time after time, never carrying anything. He didn't seem to notice me. Why wasn't it Elizabeth who did that? Then I could have had Jack rush up to her. As it was, I caught a glimpse of her going around the rhododendrons toward the front door twice, but both times I was too far away to approach her and had to chalk them up to near misses. I'd seen service people, too. Twice a week, a happy housemaid's van would pull into the driveway and a small cadre of ladies dressed in pink uniforms would hurry into the house, only to depart after about two hours, presumably leaving a cleaner house behind them. The landscaping crew showed up once a week. They swarmed over the yard, cutting grass, trimming bushes, tweaking flowers, and raking up debris. Jack was sure they were having some kind of wonderful adventure and always wanted to go play with them. But I kept his leash short, and we would hurry by more quickly than usual. 
Of course, I'd seen Mr. Wellingham, Elizabeth's father, leaning on his cane a few times. That was how I could recognize the figure laying on the front walk. And I'd made a major discomforting discovery. Also entering and leaving the house on a regular basis was Christine, Dad's girlfriend. Christine was a brittle blonde beauty with long flowing hair down her back, a trim figure that, to me, looked more like a trifle emaciated with long slender legs. The first time I saw her striding down the walk in a tailored pantsuit and carrying an oversized purse, I grabbed a surprise jack and ducked behind a parked car. After that, I kept an eye out for her and, if I saw her, scrambled to get behind some bushes or a tree. I certainly didn't want her to see me. But what was her relation to the family and to Elizabeth? She seemed too young to be Elizabeth's mother, a bit old to be a sister. I racked my brains for everything I knew about Elizabeth or I'd ever heard her say. I was only slightly embarrassed to admit that I would try to sit behind the table with her and her gaggle of girlfriends in the school cafeteria and listen closely to their conversation. Stepmother, Elizabeth had a stepmother. She'd once said that her father had a trophy wife. Then she'd laugh and say, but she's no prize. Surprised at the bitterness in her voice, I glanced over at her. I couldn't read the expression on her face. Not really a smile, not really a smirk, not really a snarl. But, Elizabeth continued, she'll never be the favorite. I'll always be daddy's best little girl. If Christine really was Elizabeth's stepmother, and she was also dad's girlfriend, she certainly was no prize. As the cops tried to escort Roger through the yard, he was becoming more and more agitated. He stopped, looked back at the house, and threw his hands up in the air. Finally, Officer Symington took him by the elbow and guided him firmly to a patrol car. He installed Roger in the back seat, leaned in to fasten the seatbelt, and slammed the door. Another cop climbed in the driver's seat and the car pulled away. Next person escorted from the back of the house was Elizabeth. I could tell she was crying and I longed to say something to her, but she too was surrounded by cops. She went directly to another patrol car. Once again, Officer Symington held the door while she sat down, but he didn't lean in. Apparently, she was capable of buckling her own seatbelt. I watched sadly as that car headed away. Was there anything I could do to help her? I didn't see how I can get anywhere near her. Another person, again surrounded by a small contingent of cops, emerged from around the house. I half expected it to be Christine. I hadn't seen her at all today. But as they approached a third patrol car, I realized it was another young man. I squinted, trying to see if I knew him. Emery Renland. I recognized him from school. He was a year or two ahead of Elizabeth and me, so he'd already graduated. He was neatly dressed in a kind of old-time preppy fashion. I bet the shirt had one of those alligators on it. I'd never seen him at the house before. I knew Roger was a bit of a loner, but he had to have some friends, didn't he? Emery was probably there to see Roger. He couldn't have been there to see Elizabeth, but that's what I told myself. After the third car carrying Emery off, Officer Symington turned toward where Syndra and I waited. Jack was anxious to sniff and possibly lick his boots. I pulled him over and picked him up. Things were uncomfortable enough without having my dog annoy a police officer. 
Okay, he said. You can go now. I have your contact information. Expect someone to come over and get your statements again and have you sign them. Both of us? Sindra asked. Officer Symington nodded. She started the engine, slammed the truck into gear, and took off, almost clipping me with the bottom step. The door still hung open. The truck lurched down the street and made a quick turn into the alley. I watched her go. But I'll need your shirt, Officer Symington said to me. Reluctantly, I put Jack on the ground. I unbuttoned the shirt and handed it over. My shirt was old and had holes in it. Walking home with just that felt chilly. Although I'm not usually self-conscious about my clothes, I did feel pretty underdressed. It was one of my good shirts. I didn't have many of them. If they kept it, I'd have to dredge up a new one before school started. I wore old shirts and jeans to work. My summer job, starting at 4 a.m., involved a lot of lifting and sorting of newspapers off a delivery truck, and the black ink tended to rub off. Since I didn't want to run into Elizabeth wearing my work clothes, and since running, to him, running into Elizabeth was the entire point of walking by her house, I took a shower and changed when I got home. Hoping to avoid anyone seeing me who knew me, I turned down the alley where the delivery truck had gone. I figured I could go home the back way. Jack loved it. Dumpsters and garbage cans, dark stains on pavements, bits of litter scuttling along in the wind. He seized a wrapper from a hamburger and shook it, growling fiercely. I had to take it away from him. When I got to the cross alley, the one that extended behind Elizabeth's house, I stopped dead. There was Dad's car, parked a few yards into the alley. Two people sat in the front seat, Dad and Christine. Did they know what happened to Mr. Wellingham? Who, after all, was probably Christine's husband. Should I go say something to them? While I stood there, undecided, Jack yipped at a squirrel running across the pavement. Christine turned and saw me. She nudged Dad. He leaned forward, started the car, and they left. Which at least meant I didn't have to worry about whether I should tell them about Christine's husband. I wondered, uneasily, if they had anything to do with the murder. Christine was a widow now. A widow who stood to inherit a fair amount of money. In the few seconds I stood pondering, Jack had pulled out the leash to its full length and burrowed between a fence and a dumpster. Now he was dragging something along the pavement. It was a white foam box, like the one he'd gotten a hold of in the truck. It looked like the one that had cheese in it. I reached down and I took it away from him. It was the same one he'd gotten a hold of in the truck. A smallish white box, thoroughly taped up with world famous specialty cheeses on the sides and premium pepper jack on top. It was addressed to Christine Wellingham. Sindra had left that package on the truck's floorboards by the steps. The door had been open as she drove off. It must have tumbled out as she careened through the alley. I could wipe off the dog slobber, maybe, and not say anything about that, but it had a distinct dog tooth marks on it. I carried the package home with me. Jap kept staring at me repro reproachfully trying to jump up and sniff at the package. After all, he found it. He thought I should let him have it. What should I do with it? For now, I put it in the refrigerator. Even if the insulating container had holes in it from Jack's teeth, the cold should keep the cheese from spoiling. 
I suppose I could call Dad and tell him I had the package addressed to Christine, but it would be hard to explain how I came by it. I really didn't feel much like talking to him. Sindra drove for a delivery service that was based in the same industrial park where I worked for the newspaper distributors. I had to be there early tomorrow morning. Maybe on my break I could go ask the dispatcher at her company where I could find her. Then I'd have to admit that I allowed Jack to maul the package after she already asked me once to keep him away from it. Maybe the better idea was just to throw it away. After all, Syndra was the one who lost it off the truck. Since sometimes things did go wrong with deliveries, no matter how careful anyone tried to be, it was undoubtedly insured. I fixed a bologna sandwich and switched on the TV looking for local news. The lead story was about the murder. No reporters had shown up by the time I had left, but now there was video of the front of the Wellingham house with several different angles. Yellow crime seat tape was draped from the bushes and trees, blocked off from the front walk and door. A reporter, a cute young woman in a high skirt and low top, faced the camera with a wide tooth, with a wide white tooth smile. She recapped the events in a breathy voice, not saying much I didn't know. She finished with the cheery statement that the police were questioning, but had not identified a person of interest. I wondered who that could be. I hope not Dad. Mom wasn't home from work yet, not unusual. And since I had to get up at three in the morning, I took Jack out one last time and brought him into my room, closing the door so he couldn't get out and bother Mom when she got home, or get into any mischief. Chapter 5, Seeking Answers As always, morning, or at least my morning, came early. I threw on my old clothes and work boots, I'd shower after work, and took Jack for a jog around the neighborhood to tire him out a little. That way he would sleep most of the morning in his crate, I hoped. We went through a trail that ran along the railroad tracks. I let him off his leash and he dashed on ahead. He stopped to sniff things, circled around, and ran back to me, repeatedly. I kept up a slow, steady jog. He probably covered four times the distance I did. A pair of athletic shoes for jogging had been the next purchase in line when I got my paycheck, but now it looked like I might have to get a new shirt instead. Mom had left my cell phone on the table with a note saying, thanks, she must have found hers. Back home, I slapped together another bologna sandwich and filled an empty water bottle with a sweet cherry drink. The package of cheese stayed in the refrigerator. At work, I shivered in the early morning chill as I unloaded the bundled of papers and magazines. I only had a chance to glimpse at the front page with the murder story screaming from the headlines. The day had warmed up by the time I got my 8 a.m. lunch break. Or was that a breakfast break? I grabbed one of the papers and read the article. It didn't say anything more than the news broadcast last evening, down to failing to identify the person of interest. I went over to the delivery company's garage to ask about contacting Sindra Heston. The dispatcher sat at a high desk in his little shed, paperwork spread out in front of him, three phones and a radio vying for his attention. He gestured for me to wait while he checked his paperwork and finished two phone calls. Sindra Heston, he asked, 
glancing at the board of schedules and assignments hanging on the wall. She called off today. She called off? I repeated stupidly. The dispatcher looked at me and frowned. That's what I said. Is she sick or something? I asked. How would I know? All I know is she called in. Late. He tapped his pencil on the clipboard resting on the desk. I thought for a minute. Will she be in tomorrow? He shrugged. No idea. If she isn't, I hope she calls in earlier. It's tough enough finding someone to cover the route without finding out at last minute that somebody's a no-show. That's what happened today, I asked. Yeah, put me in a tight spot, it did. He looked down at the clipboard, dismissing me. I tried one last time. Can you tell me where she lives? The dispatcher looked up at me, frowning. Do I look like a directory? No, I don't know where she lives, and even if I did, I'm certainly not going to give it out. Give out that kind of information on any employee. I went back to finish my work shift. At noon, I punched out and went home. A dark car was sitting out in front. As I headed up the walk, a tall man in a suit got out and approached me. Logan Wesley? I stopped. Yes, sir. I'm Detective Monahan. I'd like to ask you a few questions about yesterday. May I come in? My stomach nodded. Officer Symington had said something about more questions, and they had my shirt with the blood stains. Surely they didn't think I had anything to do with Mr. Willingham's death, other than checking to see if he were alive. I let him in the house. Jack, still cooped up, went wild, barking and leaping against the front of the crate. He learned that, if he jumped just right, he could lift the edge of the crate and set it skittering across the floor. Can I take my dog out for a minute, I asked. He hasn't been out since really early this morning. Detective Monahan shook his head. This shouldn't take long. Tell me what you were doing at that house yesterday. Just walking by, I said. He took out a notebook and a pen. Just walking by. For what reason? I certainly wasn't going to go into the possibility that I might see Elizabeth, so I said, took my dog to the park. We were going home. Jack had set up a raucous yipping, howling, and jumping. He was out of sight in the other room, but I could hear the crate as he inched it forward, making a metallic clanging every time it landed. The detective frowned. The noise made it pretty hard to hear. Is that the dog? Yes, sir, I said. He's pretty energetic. I need to get him out for a lot of exercise. Can you shut him up? He asked. Well, yeah, if I get him out of his crate and let him run for about a minute, then he'll sit quietly, I assured him. The detective sighed. Go do it. I let Jack out into the fenced yard and left the back door open for him to come back in. Detective Monahan ran through basically the same questions Officer Symington had asked yesterday, especially about how the bloodstains got on my shirt. One more question, he said. Did you see the package that was being delivered when the driver found the body? Yeah, I remembered it well. She was carrying it. Smallish white box made out of that foam stuff that they make cheap coolers out of. It had cheese in it. He looked up at me. Cheese? I elaborated. Pepper Jack cheese. Did you see what happened to it, he asked? Yeah, I had a pretty good idea. He narrowed his eyes at me. Well, what did happen to it? At the house? The driver brought it back to the truck. I didn't want to admit I'd been paying it better attention. 
I didn't want to admit I hadn't been paying better attention to what Jack was up to, but Sindra had probably already told them that. Jack, I gestured toward the back door, snuck in with the packages and pulled it out. I mean, he's a dog and it's cheese. I took it away from him. The driver put it on the floorboard next to the steps. It was still there when she drove away. Detective Monahan was writing furiously. And that was the last time you saw it? No. I saw no help for looking like a totally irresponsible pet owner. Jack found it in the alley when we were on our way home, near a dumpster. Was it in the dumpster, he asked? I shook my head. Jack's not big enough to get something out of a dumpster. It had to have been on the ground. The driver took off pretty fast and the door was open. It probably fell out. He peered down at Jack, who had come back in and now peered back at him, tongue hanging out. Did the dog eat it? No. I reached down and scratched behind Jack's ears. I took it away from him. The package does have his teeth marks in it. I don't know if anybody would want to eat that cheese. Scribbling something in his notebook, Detective Monahan said, And where is this package now? Ah, yes. The opportunity to turn the responsibility over to somebody else. In the refrigerator, I said. He gestured toward the refrigerator next to us, which was humming. Here? I nodded. Yep. I'll need you to get that for me, he said. Stepping over Jack, I opened the refrigerator door and took out the package. Detective Monahan had tucked the notebook away in his pocket. He pulled the paper bag from another pocket and unfolded it. Holding it open, he gestured for me to put the cheese in the bag. Jack looked hopefully and hungrily at the package, but of course Detective Monahan ignored him. He rolled the top over the bag. I'd half expected him to tell me I had to go with him to the station house, but he just tucked his pen back in his pocket and thanked me. Who's this person of interest they're talking about on the news, I asked. He raised his eyebrows. You'll hear when they announce an arrest. Meanwhile, all you, know, all you need to know is, it's not you. Chapter 6 Scene of the Crime Revisited After Detective Monahan left, Jack sat by the back door, the case for the extendable leash in his mouth, waiting impatiently for me to shower and get dressed. Was there any point in walking by Elizabeth's house today? She'd probably be holed up inside. What could I possibly accomplish if I went there? On the other hand, what could I possibly accomplish by sitting around here? And Jack was eager for his afternoon adventures. When we passed by the entrance to the alleys behind the buildings, Jack pulled to go in there. He didn't appreciate the well-tended lawns and planters with bright flowers that I liked to look at as we passed the fronts of the houses. He loved the varied odors, many of them disgusting, of overflowing garbage cans and dumpsters and strange stains on the pavement. Why not? I let him drag me into the alley, pausing every few minutes when he discovered another intriguing spot to sniff. We wandered slowly along until we came to a place near Elizabeth's house where two alleys crossed where we'd seen Dad's car on our way home yesterday. Jack caught some scent and dashed forward eagerly. There, around the corner from where it had been yesterday, was Dad's car again. Pulling Jack over to me, I picked him up and took a cautious look down the alley. Dad and Christine were in the alley. 
Dad was down on his knees in front of a dumpster, holding a pole of some sort poking around underneath it. Christine had a rake and was teasing apart a small lump of debris. I had no desire to speak to them. Still holding Jack, I turned back down the alley to the street and put Jack down on the sidewalk. We just had to skip the rest of the alley today. But we continued toward the park, past Elizabeth's house. Was she in there? How was she feeling? It must be tough knowing her dad was murdered. I'm not that fond of my dad, really, but it would upset me if somebody killed him. Her brother, Roger, was standing out by the end of the walk. He was staring down the sidewalk in my direction, fidgeting. I stopped when we got up to where he stood. He gazed at me with unfocused eyes. Do I know you? Kind of, I said. Maybe he recognized me from high school, or maybe just from the neighborhood. We certainly crossed paths numerous times this summer, me walking Jack slowly by his house as he rushed in and out. How are you doing, I asked. He laughed. How am I doing? Just peachy keen. Thank you. That seemed like a strange thing to say, and even a stranger way to say it. I got to what I really wanted to know. How about Elizabeth? Is she all right? Roger laughed. A really strange, high-strangled laugh. That bitch? She's getting what she deserves. My throat closed. I didn't have a younger sister, of course, but if I did, I don't think I would have referred to her as that bitch to anyone, much less a casual non-acquaintance. What do you mean, I managed to say, trying to keep the horror out of my face and voice, but he wasn't paying much attention. Goody two-shoes, he said. What was with these insults and the weird old-timey expressions? He spit on the sidewalk next to my shoe. Jack inched over and started sniffing the spot. They arrested her. Did you know that, he said. My stomach clutched. No, why? His watery eyes didn't meet mine. Because she killed Dad. That's why. <gasps> why would she do that, I asked. He was hitting on her. We all knew. I guess she got fed up with it and smashed his head in. <laughs> he giggled. <laughs> Serves both of them right. I stood rooted to the ground, trying without much success to get my mind around this idea. No way. Okay, we're at the door. <laughs> my mic was not on. All right, let me repeat that. <clears throat> Take two. The dad was hitting on his child? That's what Roger said. That's creepy. I'll bet. I'll bet. Roger. Wait, no, Roger. The dad was hitting on Chrysanthemum. Chrysanthemum? That was his wife. He's allowed to hit on her. Do we know it's his wife? Yeah, it was Christine Willingham. So it's Christine his is his wife. Yeah, okay. trophy, trophy wife. That is no prize. Well, then maybe never mind. I don't have. Okay, okay. Any Do you want to hear all the uh, all the characters here? Yes. Okay. First, I want to remind those listeners who are also mystery readers to check out our print and ebooks, companion book to season four, A Word Before Dying, and season five, Move It and Lose It, are available in ebook and trade paperback from online retailers. And this season's book will be released on September 12th. Yay, just two days. Two days. When was my brother born? September 14th. Two days before my brother's birthday. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Good thing you got that down. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I, I said guess, it out loud. I guess I know what he's getting for his birthday. Well, when I said it out loud, 
September 14th just didn't sound normal. So oh. I was like, that, that can't be it. Oh. <laughs> anyway, K.M. Rockwood, as she always has, has given us a dastardly little mystery to wrap our heads around. Uh, Logan and Jack Weasley here have quite a conundrum. So here's the list of people that Logan has to consider in Mr. Willingham's death. Okay. Christine Willingham, the trophy wife, who is cheating on her husband with Logan's deadbeat father. All right. Roger Willingham, the older son, who's kind of weird. Kind of weird. Daddy-o. <laughs> Elizabeth Willingham, the younger daughter, the girl Logan's crushing on, who is reportedly being sexually abused by her father. All right. Logan's deadbeat dad. Logan's deadbeat bad. What about the weird friend? Is that one? Uh, there's Sindra Heston, the delivery woman who found the body, and Emery Renland, who is a few years older than Logan and Elizabeth, and I think you just described as the weird friend. Yeah, they didn't... Well, we haven't had anything like with Emery other than they don't think he did it. I mean... Because they let him go immediately, right? Well, we only saw everything from Logan's point of view, so all three of them that were in the house, Roger, Elizabeth, and Emery were taken away in police cars. Emery was? I thought Emery was allowed to go. Was he not? Did I remember that wrong? I don't know. Let me scroll back up. Did I re remember it wrong? I thought he was the guy who walked out acting weirdly fancy for no reason and dressed all old-timey. He was weirdly fancy. And I thought the police officers were like, all right, we're going to be in contact. Oh, no. That was, <laughs> that was the police officers talking to the delivery truck driver and Wesley, wasn't it? Hold on. I'm almost there. I don't know. Um, I Clearly, I should not be responsible for knowing the facts because I don't. No, I'm responsible for the facts. But unfortunately, scrolling and reading and talking at the same time, that takes talent. Don't worry. I'll talk instead. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name's Jack, and I did not prepare for this episode whatsoever, and I completely forgot that I had to prepare chords for, um, you know, playing. So when I sat down and I played the intro, I was like, crap, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I've been playing the same like chord progression and I just keep playing it slightly differently. And I keep trying to play something completely different and then just defaulting back to it. So it's just, um, it's that, I don't know what key it is, man. I'm not very good at a uh, music theory. We'll ignore that I'm a music theory minor at Ball State. He's going to become good at music theory. I, I don't have a choice. It's going to suck. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's all fun. So, yeah, I think I I don't think the delivery truck driver driver did it. OK, well, let me read you the clues. Sorry, I couldn't find that while you were rambling on about minor keys and major keys here. OK, here are the clues. Okay. Sindra, the delivery woman, ran out of the house shouting for someone to call 911. She said she left her phone in the truck. Logan couldn't call because he didn't have a phone. EMS showed up a minute later responding to the call. To the call that they placed from the phone in the truck? Did someone go to get that phone in the truck or was there just... That's they just question. showed up. That's the question. They showed up mighty quick. It showed up mighty quick. So who called them? Mr. Willingham was killed by a blow to the head, and the weapon was his own walking stick. All right. So we so know what the weapon was. We know where they got it from. Roger, Elizabeth, and Emery were in the house at the time of the murder. 
Okay. Traumatizing. Logan spotted Christine and his deadbeat father in the alley after he was allowed to leave the scene of the crime. They're weird. They definitely aren't innocent. Jack found the package of pepper jack cheese in the alley addressed to Christine Willingham. Logan picked it up thinking it fell off of the delivery truck. What do you mean thinking? <gasps> you just gave it all away, Mom. <laughs> I know now. Okay, here's what happened. No, Sindra, the delivery woman, called off work the next day unexpectedly and with short notice. Okay, cheese lovers, if you were a Jack Russell terrorist, in whose hindquarters would you sink your teeth? <laughs> okay. okay, I think this was an inside job. I don't really know what that means, and I highly doubt I'm using it correctly. Okay. So, I do, I do what it means. Whatever. Sintra? That's her name, right? Sindra. Sindra. Sindra clearly left it there on purpose for some reason or another. Or it got taken off of her truck, not, not just accidentally dropped, even though it was put in a rather conspicuous place. Maybe it was put there so that, you know, old daddy-o can go over there and just swipe it up. Um, Wesley data. Logan's dad. Yeah. So... So I think he's such a deadbeat. He doesn't even have a name. Right. Yeah. So one of the three people or Sindra killed him. Okay. Those are the only four people in the house at the time. Mm -hmm. And after he was killed, Sindra left the scene and dropped off a packet of cheese for some reason. Mm -hmm. Colby Jack cheese. Pepper Jack. Pepper Jack cheese. Not Colby Jack. Pepper Jack cheese in the alley for... Christine Willingham. Christine Willingham. That, that's who it was addressed to. Mm-hmm. But clearly th- it was for him and the dad. Because, or the, the dad and uh, Christine. Because the next day they were in the same alley digging around. Mm-hmm. Clearly looking for the package that Logan had. So what was really in the package? Did, did he look? No. Okay. He so just, the um, Jack's teeth were just on the outside of the package. Logan did not open the package. So we think it's Colby Be- Colby Jack cheese. Pepper Jack. Pepper Jack cheese. Maybe. <laughs> Monterey oh Jack cheese. Oh my gosh. I cannot. <laughs> I, I cannot keep a cheese straight. I I don't know if I can pin one person to it. Because it, it seems to me that the dad and the. Well, can you eliminate anybody? Do you know anybody who it's not? I, I don't think it's any of the three kids. I don't think it's. Was it Robert? Um, Roger. Roger. And. Emery or Elizabeth. Okay. I suppose it could have been. Emery, we know nothing about. He was just there. He was just there. And I have a feeling he's just going to be there to add suspects. But I don't think it's him. Okay. Because, I mean, if it did, screw you, KM. Because if you really (laughs) made the killer some guy we got two lines from, I'm going to be pretty pissed. All right? Don't Agatha Christie this bullcrap. I am here to win. Okay. So you've eliminated... I've I've eliminated the kids. The kids, even though as I'm saying that, it sounds okay. like a really no, stupid okay. idea. All right, go with your gut. So I'm gonna go with the three adults. Three adults. The person to actually have done the murder. Oh, now that I say that, it sounds like it should be one of the kids. <laughs> how could any? How could she went in there? Sindra went in there to get to deliver the package. Took his cane and killed him with it. So that's what, what I, I guess. I guess what I'm going with because we going. have to move this along. Okay. Cha- All right. All right. Chapter seven. Momentary hero. Roger looked over my shoulder. You find it? He hollered. I turned to look. 
Dad and Christine were trudging up the sidewalk, still carrying the pole and the rake. Dad shook his head. Nope. Told you, Roger said with grim satisfaction in his voice. If it had been there, I would have found it last night. I had a horrible feeling I knew exactly what they were looking for, but I wasn't about to say anything. She said she stopped and tossed it behind a dumpster, Christine whined, but we checked all of them and all along the alley. Roger spat on the ground again, so she probably kept it. $12,000 worth of fentanyl? Didn't make sense that she ditched it. Dad was staring at me. Logan, he said, what's he doing here? Christine shrugged and said to him, your son, you handle it. Dad shifted to his feet uneasily. Should we be talking about this in front of anybody? Turning to face Roger, Christine said, Syndra didn't want it on her or the truck in case they searched. I can't blame her for that. Not much chance of that, is there? Roger smirked. After all, everybody knows who killed the old man. They do? Christine asked. Of course, Roger rocked back on his heels. Oldest story in the books. Horny father molests beautiful adolescent daughter. She kills him or gets a boyfriend to do it for her. No reason to look further than that. But they will, Christine said. They've already said they didn't have enough to hold her. A boyfriend? Who would that be? Three cars pulled by the curb. Four uniformed police officers got out of the patrol cars. Detective Monahan emerged from another one. We all just gapped. Jack barked. I picked him up. Detective Monahan approached us. Dad backed up a few steps, turned around, and started to walk away. One of the uniformed cops grabbed him by the elbow. Roger Wellingham and Christine Wellingham, you're under arrest for murder. No, Roger wailed. Christine tried to keep her voice steady, but it didn't work. We told you, it had to have been Elizabeth or her boyfriend. And Detective Monahan just looked at her. He pulled out a car and he read the Miranda rights. Then he said, we have the package addressed to you. The package of pepper jack cheese? That's all I ordered, just cheese, Christine insisted. I wasn't even here. And we have Sindra Heston in custody. She's been talking. Detective Monaghan watched as the two cops cuffed, pulled handcuffs off their belts. It wasn't us who killed him, Roger shouted. It was Sindra. Dad figured out who was, what was going on. When she came to deliver the package, he confronted her. She took his cane and smashed his head in. She's the killer. Detective Monaghan just stood there, not saying anything. Roger licked his lips. I was watching out the window, waiting for the package. I saw her do it. You can't get me for murder. No, Detective Monaghan said. How about conspiracy, accessory, felony murder? I watched in stunned disbelief as Roger, Dad, and Christine were handcuffed and eased into the back seat of patrol cars. Elizabeth came down from behind the bushes and down the front steps. I wondered if she'd heard all of that. Probably. Her usually perfect hair was stringy and messy. Her makeup was smeared. She looked pale and exhausted. My heart thumped. I thought she was still beautiful and vulnerable. Detective Monaghan shook his head. I know this is all very difficult for you, Miss Wellingham. I don't think you have to worry anymore about being charged with your father's death. She rubbed her nose with the back of her hand. Thank you, she said. That's something, anyhow. How did you figure it all out? 
Detective Monahan reached out and let Jack, who was still in my arms, sniff his hand. It was the package, of course. This little fellow found it in the alley. It had a baggie full of powdered fentanyl packed in among some pepper jack cheese. They knew that sometimes drug-sniffing dogs would go through the warehouses, and they hoped the scent of the peppers and cheese would throw them off. Did that happen? Elizabeth asked. Apparently not, Detective Monahan said. But the cheese certainly attracted this little fellow. And, here he nodded to me, you can thank this young man for turning the package over to us. Thank you, little guy, she said, reaching over to scratch Jack behind the ears. What's your name? The moment I've been dreaming of all summer. My throat was dry. Jack, his, his name is Jack. My voice was squeaky. What a good dog, Jack, she said, rubbing his head. You're my hero. Detective Monahan took a step toward the car, then turned around. You have family or somebody to stay with for a few days, Miss Wellingham? He asked. Yes. She let Jack lick her fingers. I'm going to stay with a friend's family for a few days until the, this gets better straightened out. I just came by to pick up a few things. Good. I know you've been in touch with your lawyer, Detective Monahan said. Then he went to his car. Elizabeth gave Jack a wan smile and then lifted her eyes to me. I guess I owe you a real thank you, too. She leaned over and planted a kiss on my cheek. Warmth rushed through me from head to toe. I couldn't move for a minute. She gave Jack a final pat and stepped back, looking over her shoulder. Emery, she called. Let's get going. He came down the path with the suitcase in hand. It's really nice of your mother to let me stay at your place, she said. He smiled. Well, we hope you'll become part of the family before too long. She took his hand, and they walked away. Gosh darn it. Such a cruel way to end that story. <laughs> it wasn't cruel. That's so cruel. <laughs> this whole story. You like the happily ever after where the girl's like. The, curl, the girl gets the weirdo. He's not a weirdo. He's a weirdo. <laughs> but hey, you guessed it right. Cinder grabbed the cane and bashed him in. I, that sounded so stupid in my head. <laughs> I, realizing that Logan was also in on it. Yeah. Makes me think he could have. It would be more realistic if he had done it. But if you think about the whole timing and everything, I mean, we don't know where Logan was because we don't have any testimony to it, but the last person who would have, or the first person who would have saw him dead, I mean, would have been Syndra. It would have been. It would have been, but that doesn't make sense in the regard of if if the dad knew that that was fentanyl in there, Yeah. how would he have known that Syndra knew there was fentanyl in there and wasn't just some random employee? Okay, that's a really good point. Maybe he was just questioning and aggressive, and she yeah. panicked. She probably could have, but you can also very easily in that instance simply claim, I had nothing to do with it. I'm just a UPS driver. Because realistically, all she did was make sure she had the package, that and she true. was the one to deliver it. Unless, of course, it never actually went through the system. And she was just a mode of transportation and she just happened to have it. Well, I don't know. But that's a good point that if she hadn't lost her cool or whatever it was. She would have been completely exonerated. Unless now, unless he'd been staking it out and it was the same driver every time or he caught he caught Syndra like, I don't know, you can make up lots of stories to to where the backstory would work. Like if he caught her talking to Roger and there was like. Yeah. Well, you can also claim that 
if if the dad found out, he would have questioned whoever it was addressed to. Yeah. And whoever it was addressed to, if it had somehow gotten back to them, it could have easily gotten back to her. Yeah. Because yeah. those people are willing to talk in order to lower whatever sentences. I yeah. Mean, look how trashy they are. Yeah. Um, I do love that it's just casually fentanyl. Yep. Just fentanyl and the Colby Jack. Um, but yeah, Pepper I, Jack. I, I, Pepper Jack. I had it exactly right. You except did. for the fact that you can't remember that it's Pepper Jack cheese. That and Logan, <laughs> no. not Logan. Uh, Roger. Roger. Yeah. Roger. Roger, I feel like had very little to do with the crime itself. Like well, he, he didn't play as much of a role as much as he was just there. Well, I think that they obviously have some sort of, some sort of drug ring growing. Dad, Christine, yeah. and Roger. Yeah, but I mean, realistically, hey, <laughs> why the hell would you have it addressed to like? I mean, I guess it's her house, but I don't it's know. Christine's it's house. Supposed to be cheese, so it's supposed to be cheese. But why not get it addressed to the dad's house? There's no one else living in the dad's house. Not anyone that. That's a good point. Not anyone that doesn't need to be, unless for some know. reason he's on like a no mail list. Didn't you watch the entire like the entire thing of weed? I don't know. People do. <laughs> I did not watch that. Oh, that was that, sorry. Your brother born on the fourteenth. Who did that? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't do that. So you want to you want to know um, where the name for Pepper Jack Cheese came from? Sure. I was uh, I was doing my not so deep investigation on this, and from the website of. Schistler's Cheese House in Orville, Ohio. Okay, so first thing fascinating about Schistler's, S-H-I-S-L-E-R, besides the spelling of the name, they have a 24-7 hotline for cheese. Oh, who? Isn't that cool? Why? I don't know, but I want to like... Did you call it? No, <laughs> but I want to call it at like midnight just to see who answers. We'll, we'll do an episode. We'll do a, a little bonus episode on the end of this and it's going to be like hey by the way it's three in the morning <laughs> how about we talk just sisler's cheese house in orville ohio so the uh, website is in the show notes um i'll put the phone number in there too but it's right on the website and i don't exactly know where orville ohio is but we go back and forth between indiana and ohio often enough that i think we have to go find where sisler's cheese house is we should unless it's in east ohio we'll go over there we don't go that far Okay, so according to their website, Pepper Jack cheese is a cow's milk cheese that blends the creamy, buttery flavor of Monterey Jack cheese with the intensity of spicy peppers. Jalapenos, serrano peppers, and habanero peppers are all used to create heat. As the cheese ages, the peppery flavor intensifies. Some older Pepper Jacks can taste quite zesty, but generally the cheese is only aged for a few months. And it'll take on a creamy and semi-firm texture. Monterey Jack cheese was made by Mexican Franciscan friars of Monterey, California in the 19th century. Then David Jack, a California businessman, decided that the market for cheese could be developed. He produced the mild white cheese that we now call Monterey Jack. Yeah. And Pepper Jack and Colby Jack. Later, producers began to add small bits of spicy peppers to the curds of their jack cheese, creating pepper jack cheese. Alrighty, that's kind of cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm slowly realizing that this season is going to be very confusing for me because there's so many jacks in it. Just every every other word is just give me my name. <laughs> it is, and people really got into it. Yeah, some of these episodes have a lot of jacks in them. <laughs> 
Ah, that'll, that'll be fun. It is going to be fun. So about K.M. Rockwood, K.M. Rockwood draws on a very varied background for her stories, among them working as a laborer in a steel fabrication plant, operating gas melter, uh, operating glass melters, and related equipment in a fiberglass manufacturing facility, and supervising an inmate work crew in a large medium security state prison. These jobs, as well as work as a special education teacher in an alternative high school and a GED teacher in county detention facilities, provide most of the background for her novels and short stories. So KM has written other stories for us, and every one of hers has, you could tell what her background is. They have these elements, just like this time the fentanyl and um, with, the, with the daughter being molested. Check out her website. Check out her books. She's an incredible writer and incredible storyteller. So thank you for, uh, for writing for us again this season, KM. This was a fun one. So with that, let's do the wrap-up. Um, please do support our show by subscribing and telling Mystery Lover about us, giving us a five-star review. Check out our website, um, tgwolf.com forward slash podcast for links to all of this season's authors. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. A Package of Pepper Jack Cheese was written by K.M. Rockwood. Music and production are by Jack Wolf, and episode art is by T.G. Wolf. You know, Jack, I decided that we have to figure out, like, a good sign-off. I've sort of lost my sign-off, because now it's just sort of like, okay, bye. That's boring. In the name of Colby Jack Cheese, smell you later. <laughs> I think that was a pretty good ending. That's awesome.